Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you today? Uh, Sir Alan of the Roundtable, I am awesome sauce. That's how I'm doing today. I, I love it. Yeah. 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 We, I wish we could all be awesome sauce every day. Yeah, me too. In fact, I th I'd like to take most of our life wisdom from Andy Dwyer if possible. I feel like that would be just a much better existence for everyone. You know, you could do worse. You could do a lot worse, <laughs> as a matter of fact. No, that's a great point. Well, I want to welcome everybody to the episode today. Today is a special episode for us. We are doing a season two retrospective that we're calling Revisited Season Two. That's right. Uh, apropos of something, I guess. So, yeah. So anyway, as Andy would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, I think our goal today is to look back on season two, kind of uh, talk a little bit about some of the high points, the low points, what we thought went well, what we didn't. And then, you know, obviously there's some really big changes here at the end of season two. We yep. want to talk about a little bit. We want to talk about the departure of our buddy Mark Brandanowitz. Yep. And then we'll wrap things up and we'll send everybody home. How's that sound? I think that sounds pretty good. Uh, as a matter of fact, we might have a special treat uh, right at the end uh, for, you know, you viewers who plan on sticking around. That's exactly right. If you hang out today, we've got a special guest named Josh Krause, who's joining us talking about a spec screenplay that he wrote um, about the return of Mark Brandanowitz. And we'll get into that a little later in the show. So hang around for that. Yep. All right. So, Mark, I think, you know, we we did a revisited episode back on March 10th. We called Revisited First 15. And what it really did was it focused on the first six episodes, uh, the basically the whole season one, which right. was six episodes. And then the first nine episodes of season two, which at that point would have taken us up through the camel. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, for today, um, try not to be too repetitive. We're going to talk about season two as a whole, but we'll focus mostly there on that, the, these last 15 episodes, which started with Hunting Trip and then, of course, ended with our review of um, the, the season finale, which was Freddy Spaghetti. So right. how does that sound? That sounds great. And, and just to clarify, uh, you know, uh, we don't want to be repetitive, so I won't say things that you've already said. Mark, let's not repeat each other today. I think that's what's really important to our viewers. I, I think that's a crystal clear message. No repeating of the things we already said. All right. As long as we don't repeat anything, we'll be fine. Thank goodness. Okay. All right. Good. All right. <laughs> well, Mark, I don't know how you want to do this, but I, I would say that I could very easily tell you, I think, what my top five episodes of season two are at this point. Do you, are you oh, really? prepared to do something like that? Do you want a minute? Do you, yeah. do you need to get some notes from Constantine? Uh, I, I think I do. Yeah, um, that's a great idea. I don't know that I don't know that I would say I have it right off the top of my head. I don't either. Uh, I'm mostly making this up as I go today. Um, nice. I will say, though, that hunting trip, I think, is, you know, kind of starting here where we left off um, was one of the first episodes I remember thinking, wow, we're finally getting into where they hit their stride. If this was a Friends episode, I'd say the, the one where they hit their stride would be the title. Of it. Right? Because, right. I mean, I think we both reviewed it very well. It was probably at that point one of our highest scores, may still be one of our higher scores overall. And everything in that episode particularly just felt like it was in alignment and like it was, they'd kicked it into high gear by that point. You know, that's a good point. I think I would agree with that. Um, that's definitely one of the high points. It's really tough to... I think for me, it's tough to pick the top five because for me, there's probably three that really stand out. And then there's a slew right below that that are all excellent episodes. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, 35 things tied for, for fourth <laughs> place there. Yeah, I, I think for me, 
Um, I, I, I absolutely love the way that season two ended that I think that I, I, it's not a two parter. I was about to say a two parter, but the, the last two episodes where we were first introduced to mm. Ben and Chris, yeah. I thought for so many reasons were so strong and so well written. I know those would be two of my top five for sure. Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for the camel, which I know is, I think the, the only other one I ranked a nine or higher, um, Hunting Trip is a darn, darn good one, though. That actually might crack my top five. That's true. And well, you know, and the other thing for me that stands out about The Camel was when you look at how generally it was reviewed um, by, you know, viewers at the time and critics, um, but especially, I think, the viewing population, people who weren't necessarily looking at it through a critical lens. Um, you know, it's kind of a ho-hum episode if you just took it at its entertainment value level. Right. But when, and I remember this from our breakdown when we talked about it, and again, you know, we won't be too repetitive. It's almost a perfect episode in terms of how it's structured, how well they executed on it. And maybe its biggest sin is it just wasn't as funny because it gave up some funny for some heartfelt, I think, um, in terms of, you know, the the team effort and Leslie really just driving everybody to uh, do this project together, but mostly to win. <laughs> and, and, you know, we've seen a lot of competitive Leslie, but that episode stands out for me in that regard. Well, you know, I, I think for, for the camel, um, there, there were two things that immediately stand out to me. One is I know that we frequently talk about how well they uh, have the, the time that they allocate to different characters spread out. And I think I said at the time, and I, I think I stand by this, that the camel may be the best example of them spreading out their lines and, and giving everybody screen time, even like Donna and Jerry, for example. They maybe did that better in that episode than any other. So I, I kind of want to give them kudos for that. The other thing that kind of stands out is they it was one of the rare episodes, but I thought effective episodes where they turned to Brendanowitz as like. I don't know, the 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 voice of reason, like, yeah. oh, Mark will, Mark will tell us what to do. He knows everything, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And and I think, and I've said this before, I think that for a Bland-ish character, he's he's not as wacky and zany as a lot Mark of the other Bland characters. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but I thought that he that role for him is actually pretty good. And I thought he was effective in that. And we've talked about why maybe that doesn't always work, yeah. but but uh, I, I kind of like that. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah, I think that problem, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit here later when we talk about Mark's exit and we talk to our special guest. There was a lot of crowding going on there for that role, I think, is really what happens for yeah. sure. You know, I, I think that, uh, too, like you said, the camel in terms of bench use was really good. I think it was one of the standouts for that. Then we move into episode 10, like which is really the first one we'll talk in any detail about here. Um, you know, that to me was just one of the f outright funniest. Thinking back on it, you know, Donna's reaction when her car gets shot, um, Ron getting shot. Um, I mean, just <laughs> Leslie trying to one up or, or prove that she can be one of the boys. I mean, just so many good things about that episode just really stand out. It, it's it's meme worthy and it's also uh, rewatch worthy for sure. I think so, too. I think that hunting trip with yeah. that, that was one of the first ones that I remember thinking to myself, these deleted scenes are really funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. After hunting trip, we had Tom's divorce, you know, which, you know, I, I think, again, it, we we liked, um, I think, or maybe our score came down a little from hunting trip, um, you know, 
this is kind of a bittersweet time for Tom. He's had this green card marriage with Wendy. And I think to this point, he hasn't really given their relationship much thought, except that as it's about to end, I think he starts to realize he actually has feelings for her. And so, you know, wackiness ensues. Yeah, I, I think that this was the start of some of some humanizing moments for Tom. I mean, you know, we, we saw as season two ended. Uh, you know, he met Lucy and, and, and yeah. he actually met her because he wasn't pimping Tom. He was just like normal human right. head Tom. Right. And I think that at that point, we we needed more of that because I, I was I, I, sometimes pimping Tom is hard to take in big doses. Yeah. Like, OK, it's funny, but be human. And, and you know, that that did a lot towards uh, humanizing him. Yeah. And we've talked about it before. You've got to like these characters. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's that's an edict for sure. Yeah. A guiding principle, as you might say. That is our won't. It's our won't. <laughs> After that was Christmas Scandal. And uh, this was just a really good episode. And I think in particular, one thing I enjoyed about this was this is where we got to feature our interview with Kevin Simons. Oh, that's right. And uh, plays Councilman Dexhart. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, gosh, funny guy, funny character. I think that character in particular, and we agreed on this, Mark, is a lot like a lot of character guest stars. You know, if you get the dosing right, they are amazing and they add a lot of value and funny to the show. If you get the dosing wrong and you give a little too much, um, you know, it can start to detract from from many things, including that that contribution itself. But, you know, then it steals some time from the rest of the cast and the story. And so, you know, I think it's always a balancing act. This is probably the most Dexhart heavy episode and until he returns again, I think, in maybe season four. So... Yeah, that, that sounds right. And I, and I think you're right. It is a fine balancing act. I mean, whether you're talking about Councilman Dexhart or Joan Calamezzo or or yeah. whoever, if sure. you give too little time, then you go, well, what what the heck are we doing here? Like, it wasn't really effective. Why, why do you bother with this? But you give too much and it's like, OK, let's let's move on. Um, so, yeah, it's it's tough. But I think that uh, that was definitely one thing in general that they did really well in season two is they introduced a lot of great recurring um, characters, you know, yeah, those are two of them. Absolutely agree. Following the Christmas scandal was the setup. This is the one where Leslie gets introduced to Anne's uh, doctor friend, Chris, uh, who is a radiologist uh, played by uh, Amy Poehler's real life husband at the time, Will Arnett. Yep. And uh, it's another great example of a really, really funny guest star where, again, I think you've got to get that equation right. And you either give them just the right amount of screen time or, or a little too much. I feel like in this one, it was probably about the right amount of screen time. Um, Will came across as both funny and creepy at the same time, which I think is one of his specialties. I, I think I would agree in general. I, I could have seen them backing off just a little bit. But then again, I think it really added a lot to the to the main plot. So I, I think I would agree with you. Yeah. And I don't I don't remember like a really strong subplot in that one as well, except, um, you know, I think it's at that point where um there's it's a Mark and storyline that we're right in the height of that kind of relationship. Oh, I, I remember what it was. This is where we are introducing Justin as mm -hmm. Anne's friend. And Mark is a little jealous that she may be reserving him for herself. Right. Following the setup, we're literally Ann Perkins back at Leslie's house. That's right. And uh, this is the, you know, Leslie now is, is in, you know, dating Justin. I think they're just starting to date. That's right. And she's trying to impress him. And, um, you know, kind of has this panic. A couple things happen that were pretty funny. We find out Leslie's a hoarder. 
So, oh, yes. Yeah. We find out Leslie lives in a craftsman mansion in Pawnee, Indiana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to buy that house if I got to find it. I'm pretty sure it's not in Pawnee. And, uh, and then, you know, Leslie, in, in an attempt to really kind of, you know, impress Justin as much as possible, who clearly needs to be impressed because he's got all these great stories he's always telling. Oh, yeah. She decides she just randomly starts calling these rec center folks whose jobs are in jeopardy and basically uses them to help staff her party and then gets in a little bit of trouble for it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a there, there's a lot of good uh, scenes in there. Um Including when when Andy uh, refuses to serve April and her friends wine, he, he gets mad at him. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm sorry, you're underage. Well, following Leslie's house, we we find ourselves over at Sweetums uh, in episode 15 of season two, and uh, you know this is one of those first time, not the first time, but it's a time and probably in season two a meaningful time where Ron and Leslie start to find themselves on other sides of the same issue, and um, we get many of these after this, but this is in my head at least the first time it really happened. Yeah, I, I like it when this happens. I like seeing them. I like seeing two people that are respect each other but they're ideolog ideologically uh they they don't agree um <laughs> easy for you to say it's easy for me to say um and, and i think that ron and leslie in, in a way are at their best with each other when they're like this because they're not mean towards each other but they clearly don't agree but they've got to find a way to to exist with each other and like you said i think this was the first one where they really outlined that with a with a giant yellow highlighter. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think the other episode of this is uh, we get to meet Denver and Dakota. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> they're awesome vests, and uh, yeah, we we just get a little bit more of this whole Sweetums arc uh, introduced here as well. We get to see Nick Newport Jr. Um, we get the I think this is the first time we see Nick Newport Senior. As a matter of fact, yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I think they show a classic advertisement from Sweetums, which kind of features that uh, you know a, a chain smoking Nick Newport in black <laughs> and white. It's just terrific. Classic, yeah, it's classic. Well, following Sweetums, we have Valentine's Day, and so uh, we learned that you know this has been kind of an annual holiday for Leslie that happens every February thirteenth, the day before Valentine's Day. Uh, it's a day. It's all about the ladies and friends. Friendship, Mark. That's right. And this is the episode that started it all. I mean, what, what is now observed n- nationally and beyond, you know, worldwide. It's been co-opt. I mean, I, I feel like somebody owes people somebody some money. But, you know, uh, you know, I'm staying out of that. <laughs> I think I think Valentine's Day was also the first time when they really, as I say, with the giant yellow highlighter, started to look at how Ann and Mark are starting to have issues. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we that first road bump is is definitely sensed here. There's a there's a disturbance in the force, and uh, you know if this were a game of chicken, I can't remember who flinched <laughs> here, but I think it's maybe Mark starting to self doubt, which Anne's about to pick up on. Oh yeah, I think for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which I've always kind of argued, you know, not only didn't help him, but may have started us down this path to where things are going to lead. Maybe where Anne started to be a little bit more introspective and actually think about things and go, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. She, unfortunately, he, you know, it's like when you hear that tambourine and that Peter Gabriel song, you can never not hear it again. (laughs) Sorry. I hate ruining that song for people, but it's, it's so true. I have nothing to add to that. I'm just hearing (laughs) tambourines in my head now. Sorry about that. (laughs) 
Uh, well, following Galentine's Day, we've got the Woman of the Year. Uh, this is a great Ron episode. And oh, um, yeah. Ron screwing with Leslie <laughs> when he gets named Woman of the Year, um, really almost as a as a for political reasons, frankly. Uh, you know, the 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 organization that gives out this award is kind of tired of being ignored. And they decide the way they're going to get some some press this year is they're going to give it to a man and they're going to give it to a man like Ron. I don't know if I would say that this is an example of them being on opposite sides of the board like the other. It, it kind of feels like that a little bit. It plays like that, but a it's little not bit. about an it's not ideological differences. Right. I, I do like that. Ron wants to hold out to really. I think I kept saying tweak Leslie's nose as the phrase yes, that I used. Yeah. And uh, but he he then kind of pulls back when he's like, OK, I've, I've kind of agitated her enough. So, yeah, here's how I really feel. Of course, you deserve this, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and that's nice that you can kind of come back to that. Yeah, it's got a little bit of everything there. And, and the heartfelt, um, some great Ron looks to camera as he's posing for the cover. <laughs> uh, you know, he's hired this photographer. He doesn't tell Leslie that. He just says, you know, the magazine or the, the organization sent them over. But, you know, he is really milking this whole situation. That's a very funny one. Well, and he just some of the things he does are just like you said, so funny. Leslie, tell me, what should I use for this photo? A pot? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or uh, the is this, skillet? a skillet? De- deputy, deputy park director Barbie. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to help my boss win an award. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Leslie, you're going to win an award. Not this one. This is mine. Oh, my God. Some great stuff there. Yeah. yeah. I, we need to get our copy of Deputy Parks Director Barbie. I got to find one of those, <laughs> see if they're still available. That would be great. After that episode, we've got The Possum and season two, episode 18. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this one. I, I really enjoyed The Possum. Um, you know, the mayor basically has been annoyed by this possum who bit his dog allegedly on the golf course and the, the mayor's, um, you know, second in charge type person comes over and tells Leslie, Hey, you gotta, you gotta capture this, this possum fairway, Frank, fairway, Frank. Yeah. Uh, so that the mayor can, you know, kill it, stuff it, put it above his urinal and let little flecks of pee, uh, you know, go on it for all time. The usual. <laughs> yeah. He's not a monster. He's not a monster. <laughs> I also thought it was interesting that the B story here was a very rare, maybe the only case where Mark and Ron kind of, I don't know if squared off is the right descriptor. Great but callback. Yeah. 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 Ron is, uh, wants to do a simple addition. He thinks he's going to get the plan rubber stamp by his cohort, Mark Brandanowitz. And uh, Mark kind of surprises him with, uh, you know, laying down the law and saying, we're going by the rules on this. A little one. bit of backbone. A little bit of backbone. It was an interesting pairing, too. You know, we've talked about like who what's who who constitutes affecting pairing, who has good chemistry with each other. I don't yeah. think we'd seen those two paired together. It wasn't bad. It was just different. It was different. Um you know, while they were different, they're architected the same way. And again, I think we'll come back to that in a minute mm. um, as part of our problem with the Brandanowitz character's longevity. Yep. But it was interesting to see them go head to head. And, um, you know, they they wrote it the right way. In my opinion, Ron's stay off my front lawn and out of my <laughs> my business uh, libertarianism, uh, you know, shines through and him not wanting to comply with these, you know, useless uh, rules like not storing your kerosene soaked rags next to an open flame, for example. Wasn't that also maybe I'm thinking of the deleted scenes. Wasn't that the one where they showed all the signs, the yes. extra signs on the yes. outside? And, and uh, one of so them good. said, like, 
I won't. I will not be buying any uh, cookies from Ragamuffin. Ragamuffin, yes, that's love great. Ragamuffin, so good. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's like 13 signs in a row, and then when you finally get through the gauntlet, there's a welcome mat. Yeah, which, welcome. I mean, look, you've earned it at that point. <laughs> yeah, that was a great episode. Following the possum, we had park safety. And, uh, you know, it's important to improve park safety once one of your people get mugged, Mark. That's terrible. Mm. Or or if they trip trying to get a Twinkie out of a creek. Either way, it's terrible. Burrito. A burrito. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Twinkie burrito. It doesn't really matter. Well, it does when you're having a meeting and you bend over. Then then it very much matters. Well, you know, good point. A Twinkie would not have had the secondary uh, the impact. Fact, yeah. Let's call the it. impact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, from a physical comedy perspective, it's hard to outdo, you know, the great Dick Van Dyke. Mm. Um, and yet I think this, like a lot of other series that I really enjoy, has some really great physical comedy. Yes. And, uh, you know, Jerry played by Jim O'Hare and the burrito, uh, you know, um, <laughs> the burrito uh, fueled, let's call it, mm-hmm. uh, bend over there and the ripping of the pants. Uh, so good. Well, I, I also like this episode because it explores what we lovingly called PBJ, Punching Bag Jerry. Mm. And I think that they make they, they again, highlight with a giant yellow marker. They, they highlight the point that that the, the gang all makes fun of him, but they don't hate him. Right. They, they, they are actually fond of him. Yeah. But that's kind of his role. Well, and <laughs> Leslie group. especially is going to come to his defense when. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a you can't call my ugly dog ugly scenario. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Leslie can and the team can be brutal to Jerry, but outsiders know. And, you know, this, Alan, this is also the episode that, you know, introduces Wormlog. (laughs) Oh, Carl Lorfner. Carl Lorfner. Yeah. Played by the great Andy Samberg. Yeah, that's uh, (laughs) we've had our fair share of uh, Wormlog references since this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think we had one this morning, in fact. (laughs) That's right. Well, following park safety, we've got summer catalog and, you know, the, 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 apparently the production of the annual parks and recreation uh, listing of, 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 of classes and events is a big deal. And, you know, Leslie's, you know, doing the Leslie thing here, trying to prepare. She's got this amazing idea to get all the former park directors, the living former park directors together, have this picnic, sing Kumbaya and take a picture. And everything just goes totally smoothly. Oh, Except where it doesn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like all those things did not go smoothly. I, I This had such good writing. I specifically remember this episode for a number of reasons. Um, it was really interesting to see Ron kind of square off against the other former park directors. Yeah. I, and it's because they didn't they all have weird quirks. I mean, Ron sure. included, you know. Well, and, especially marijuana smoking Michael there. <laughs> oh, the great Michael Gross. Yeah. Uh, family ties. Yeah. Um, or tremors. Oh, yeah. That's a good one as well. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I love there is a couple of things I really, really, really like here. I like how at the end he and Leslie, they're not really on opposite sides, like we've said before in some of the other other, other episodes. But I think that Leslie is genuinely frustrated. And I think Ron plays kind of a nice mentor uh, a moment here and, and he kind of re maybe men's fences because I think she's a little cheesed at him for the way that they all acted yeah. including him um, the other thing I really like is the um, the impact that they made with the uh, the technique they use with the B story I think you and I both agreed that Tom taking photos of Mark and Ann meh it was okay it was it, all right it, it, it didn't it wasn't real flashy but 
it introduced a great vehicle to a let us know that Anne is really not that happy with Mark. I mean, just look at the look on her face and it gives us a great vehicle to say, look how much April loves Andy. Yeah. At the end. That's really, really good. Yeah. Well, and the, the devastating scene at the end where, you know, she can't get into the bar oh. and it makes Andy reflect on the age difference and he kind of decides maybe they shouldn't date. Mm, and just heartbreaking. <clears throat> yeah, it really is. Um, you know, pair that with April's great line, which was a highlight of the episode for me. Uh, can you Photoshop your life with better decisions, Jerry? <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, so good. Wasn't that wasn't that also the meeting where Tom subtly once again tried to introduce the 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 pensive uh, yes, picture of him kind of staring off to the side yeah. like what is that guy thinking? He's got like why is my coffee cup so little? Yeah, so good. Uh <laughs> April. Following summer catalog, we had 94 meetings, which is episode 21 of season two. We're getting here toward the end and, uh, you know, we're starting to wrap things up. And this is another one of those where I think that we've got a great B storyline, but it really kind of arcs off of a, a really solid A storyline where April believes, you know, that she has been uh, helping protect Ron by keeping all meetings off his calendar since she's had this role as his assistant. Uh, you know, and the easy way to do that, Mark, is to put him on a date that doesn't exist. like. Yep. March 31st. That doesn't exist. Oh, oh wait Except it does. does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Uh, let's see. April, March, and November. I can't remember the rhyme, but uh, <laughs> she got it wrong. Let's just say that. The rhyme is keep this crap off my desk. <laughs> yes. Well, and we see an explosive Ron reaction. Yeah. Uh, a little scary, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Ann and Andy happen to be there and see it for the first time as well. And I think they're a little frightened for April, who is mostly just while she's maybe a little scared. She's also just mortified, I think, at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she ends up quitting. Yeah, she quits. And, uh, you know, Ron, I think, realizes that he could have handled things better. He he does a very Ron type apology uh, by going to the Ludgate household where we meet uh, where we meet April's parents and learn about her nickname. Mm, yeah, he, he talked Zuzu into coming back, though, didn't he? Oh, my God, Zuzu. Zuzu floored me. I was not I didn't see it coming. And of all the great nicknames you could have given somebody like April, Zuzu is in the top, I don't know, one. But I also love the mutually assured destruction because she yes. knows very well because, you know, she has a middle aged female mom. And That's right. as we know, all middle aged female women's yeah. have uh, all the Duke Silver albums. So she's like, I knew who you were from the day we met. Yeah. And, and she's never said anything, mm -hmm. not only to Ron, but mm -hmm. to anyone else. Nope which he highly respects. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he knew coming into this, he needed April back. I think this made him realize he was, you know, he was absolutely right that, you know, she's the one. She's got to come back. Well, and it's, it's worth noting, too, even though we had all the awkwardness between April and Andy, Andy stood straight up and he joined the very short list of oh, yeah. people who stood up to Ron. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. He's like, look, dude, if you... You, you need April. She's perfect for you. And if you don't bring her back, I am quitting this job that has nothing to do with you that you don't control. <laughs> Still, I think in his little Andy Dwyer head, I think he meant that. He meant it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he was willing to get fired, even though Ron doesn't have that authority at all. Um, he was willing to do it. Yep. So good for Andy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we've obviously gone down a path where Andy's a little concerned that he and April shouldn't be together. And uh, clearly here, he, we know now for sure, and absolutely that he still has feelings for her. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, in our next episode, Telethon, this was episode 22, you know, Leslie has somehow been granted control of the night shift of the annual diabetes telethon that's uh, going to be on the local access uh, 43 there. And, uh, you know, we see some great uh, moments with her and Joan Calamezzo, uh, the, played by the terrific Mo Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see how Leslie tries to stay up all night and somewhat succeeds. Uh, we, we learn about Ron's sleep fighting. Oh, that's great. Good, <laughs> good stuff. As a matter of fact, so, I think that Telethon maybe had the record, maybe, for the most guest stars present in an episode. It was up there for sure. I yeah. mean, it ranged the gamut of basically returning characters who we've met, I think, particularly from episodes like Beauty Pageant mm-hmm. and others in the, you know, because we, we recruited some talent uh, to be on stage. You know, Mouse Rat makes a, a performance. Uh, and then, you know, we've got the great Detlef Shrimp. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Tom's Tom, his body man. Tom is his body man, which... <laughs> Uh, wackiness ensues and you know we we you know tom also takes him to the club and he has that weird exchange with uh freddie the club owner who who still needs a kick in the face and uh and we learn that tom is clearly a lightweight uh two beer two beer two light beers oh yeah he's he's not a heavy what you call their drinker there no, no um i think this is also the episode where that kind of brings uh uh, you know, Mark and Anne do a crucible like where Mark's ready to ask her to marry him. And yeah. Anne literally says, I need to break up with Mark. Yeah. Well, and Leslie's in the middle of that. She she has this I, wonderful idea that, you know, maybe a little self-serving that he can do it live on the air. And then, you know, while that's being kind of prepared and Mark's off getting ready to do that, she learns that, you know, Anne confesses uh, she's not in love with Mark and she doesn't think they should even be together anymore. So, yeah. Doesn't and doesn't that lead for the second time Leslie mooning Joan Calamezzo on the air? It does. <laughs> she cannot just help but show her ass on TV. Oh, for a good cause, it's worth it. It, it really is. <laughs> uh, and next, I think after that, we just have the the last two of the season, right? Yeah. And so, you know, Telethon is kind of the last original cast episode we'll call it of of the series frankly uh you know where we've got the full cast including mark brandanowitz but we have not yet met the characters of ben and chris played by adam scott and um some other guy rob rob introducing oh introducing rob, rob low that's right yeah who we meet for officially as you said mark in the master plan so you know mark's still here but now we've got ben and chris uh, for these two episodes and uh, master plans, the first of those. And this is the one where April also turns 21. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's right. This one actually has, um, I think this one has a decent amount of guest stars too. I know that, uh, John Ralphio's in there. Um, yes. Who April tries to use to make Andy jealous. Apparently, oh um, he's just going to dance up on her for a minute. And, and, you know, it, th- this I think these last two, I keep on grouping them together. Maybe I shouldn't. But these last two episodes are also some of the rare ones that a had a producer's cut and and B, you know, you and I, Alan, elected to review the producer's cut. And I think we agreed that the producer's cut was really in, in some cases quite a bit better. Like for Master Plan, I actually gave it a separate score because it was you did. It was that much improved. And if Freddy Spaghetti, the next one is too maybe not quite as much, but still really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think and and again, I think we pointed this out. The producer's cut of the master plan 
had almost 10 extra minutes. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do a lot in this show in 10 minutes. Um, I think we had maybe three or four extra minutes in Brady spaghetti. So, you know, not quite as much runtime. <laughs> I think it also had a we, we see Ron becoming increasingly giddy. I mean, you know, we talked uh, about Le- Leslie and Ron being on different sides of the board. Yeah, definitely for sure. In, in these two episodes, they were. But but I, as I said, I kind of like that when they are. Yeah, I do, too. And, you know, they I like several things about it. One, the conflict between them is always great and entertaining. And sometimes I agree with both of them. Sometimes I agree with neither of them. Hmm. But, you know. Almost always, I think they come back together, you know, by the end. And sometimes in that short arc, sometimes in a longer arc, uh, which we'll see much later in the series. But uh, they always come back together. No, I, I completely agree. Like in in Freddy Spaghetti, I love how Ron eventually comes back and staunchly defends Leslie. Like, you know, Ben says, well, everybody's every department's losing a Leslie. No, no, Ben, they're not. No one has one to begin with. That's right. And, and to me, that has a lot more oomph behind it because Ron did it than say if Anne did it, which I could also see her standing up for Leslie. But I think it just has a little bit more punch coming from Ron. No, that's a great point. Um, so many good moments and good lines uh, when, you know, when Ron first meets Ben and Chris and uh, it's clear that Ben is the hatchet man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In that meeting. And Ron, is, as Ben walks out a little frustrated, Leslie's not going to play ball. And Ron turns to Leslie and says, what's a not gay way to ask him to go camping with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. And then and then in the, the Freddy Spaghetti, he makes a. He makes penance, doesn't he? Slash it. Slash yes. it. <laughs> his homemade slash it banners, who who to his colleague are a little distasteful because, Ron, lots of people are going to lose jobs. Can you not be so excited? <laughs> yes, Florence. I have to be excited. That's what's going to happen. Don't be such a Florence. Uh, don't be such a Florence. Is Florence like maybe an older version of Karen? Yes. Yeah. OK. Very nice. I like that. Well, Mark, you know, I think that's a good high level recap of the episodes there. We didn't want to spend too much time on that because uh, we know everyone's been listening every week and is fully caught up on our reviews. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, but Mark, generally, you know, at a high level, what do you feel that season two did well and maybe what did it not do so well? Oh, gosh. You know, for me, for me, it's probably easier to talk about this by saying what season two didn't do well first just because it's it's easier to say that because you're a glass half empty guy or because season two did so much well Ah, it's easier to describe the smaller subset of things maybe that didn't go so well. that's fair and i I can't really come up with a lot a few that i had would be like i I think some of the as andy dwyer would call it romantical romantical relationships maybe they didn't always work as well in practice as they did on paper for example uh mark and ann uh, we saw uh, at the very, very end, Ron and Wendy, which I have my own personal opinions about. I'm not yeah. don't know if I'm a fan of it. <clears throat> um, Andy pining after Anne, which I don't know if that's exactly a relationship, but it's kind of relationship tangent, uh, you know, tangential. Yeah. Um, and, and it could be because like all three of those could be because they don't have chemistry together. or Maybe just personally, it didn't work for me. Like, uh, you know, Andy pining after Anne works from a conceptual plot perspective, but I don't like that version of Andy. Like there are much better version, in my opinion, much better versions of Andy to come. Yep. Agreed. And, and also part of it could be you and I have seen the series, so we know what's to come. And maybe it's hard for me to be impartial and give Andy pining after after Anne a fair shake when I know darn well 
<laughs> Indy and April are going to get together. And I like that. So yeah. just get, go away. Get to it. Go get away. To the get, thing. get to the good stuff. That's right. Yeah. And maybe that's not 100% fair. But I would say that some of those things didn't work as well. You know, we've talked about Mark and Anne maybe being a little uh, bland on bland ish as far as chemistry goes. They're yeah. both kind of the straight people, you know, person. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think those are good points. Um, you know, when you look at it, we ended season one, you know, the last episode, episode six in rock show where Anne had had enough of Andy's shenanigans, right? The, they basically right. break up. The first half of season two is literally, Andy trying to convince Anne to take him back. Right. And then ultimately failing over and over. And she starts to have this relationship with Mark Brandanowitz. Uh, you know, Andy's jealous. And this whole time, April is in his, you know, kind of side view mirror, um, you know, trying to, you know, orbit Andy and, and get in his, uh, you know, <laughs> get up in his face and make her him realize that, you know, she's interested in him, uh, you know. And, and it's it's frustrating to watch it, you know, because you're like you said, you really want it to just get done and get over with. Um, but there's some fun moments in there and, and a lot of good writing along the way. I think you've got to give them props for that. So I think they did it well. And yet I didn't always enjoy it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. Definitely. Um, and I think I think the flip of that would be like, well, what did season two do? Well, oh, my gosh, like everything yeah. else, you know, yeah. it, it seems like. You know, we've talked about what what talented writers they have and, for uh, Parks and Rec. And, you know, I kind of envision them coming up with a whole bucket load of new things and just splashing it against the wall to see what sticks. I think 95 percent plus worked. It's like a huge amount, you know, great character building, great recurring guest stars, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, we I think your wife pointed out that, you know, season two introduced the pairings that will eventually see the series through to its end. Yeah. Um, it humanized some characters that needed it like Tom. Well, um, even Leslie. I mean, mm. like I, I, we talked to this in our in a little interview we did yesterday. We'll, we'll play f some clips for you here in a minute. But. When Le when season two starts out, Leslie is still, you know, and I hate to use this comparison. I'll just say that she's still kind of semi Michael Scott, right? Like she isn't the Leslie we know and come to love over the arc of the series yet. Um, it happens pretty early in season two where she makes fully, I think, the transition from a semi annoying Leslie to one that we really like and want to root for. But even early season two, there's still some there's some trace amounts of the that initial Leslie there. And uh, I'm glad when they finally go away. You know, I would agree with that. I, I don't know if I would say Leslie is directly comparable to Michael Scott. No. but I, I see what you're saying. I, I think that I think that in season one and in the first part of season two, maybe she was so so wacky or so zany or so over the top or so doofy or whatever. It was hard to Doofy's take her. A good word, it was yeah. hard to take her seriously. It was. And then when they just dialed it back a little bit, yeah. so it was more of a controlled burn. Now you can kind of say, well, you know, she's still a little doofy, but she's also really freaking smart yeah. and capable and, and nice. You know, I've been, I've been trying to play in my head when I think that happened maybe officially. And I don't know if it's a full Boolean switch um, I don't think it is, but I think it crosses over into, you know, nearly full time 
probably around Sister City. You know, Leslie's in this interesting position where she basically gets really defensive because of the behavior of, uh, you know, the the Venezuelan or Venezuela, the Baracan, right? Baracan, right, right. Baracua, Venezuela. Right. Yes. Uh, the, the delegation there is yeah. really just nailing, you know, Pawnee to the ground in terms of making fun of it and uh, American general, but specifically Pawnee. And Leslie, you know, comes to rises to the defense. And I, I think like the language for her and her character kind of changed. Her tonality changes because just the episode before was practice date. She's still a little bit goofy, Leslie, in that one. Um, but I feel like after Sister City, we and because right a couple episodes later is Greg Pakitis and then Ron mm. and Tammy. You know, I think then we were doofy. Leslie's almost gone at this point. That that's a good point. I hadn't even considered that. You know what I thought you were going to say actually, and I know this is one of your favorite episodes. And the more we talk about it, I think it's one of mine too. A hunting trip. I remember yeah. specifically in a hunting trip where I'm like, you know what, mm. Leslie's really freaking smart. Yeah. Like, yeah, she can be a little. You know, she's ambitious and she does wacky things, but and you can even see you you take that to an extreme and okay, maybe you can be overbearing sometimes because you're going a little bit over the top with stuff. But but she's still she's smart and she knows what she's doing and she's really kind and thoughtful. And I feel like that takes the necessary edge off of it to make her character fun. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the development for Ron is pretty evident in season two as well. You know, we kind of go from that, you know, that very first version of Ron, which is you know, a little bureaucratic uh, to the fully, you know, uh, realized libertarian, um, I hate government, Ron. And, you know, that there's a much clearer distinction. And it's a few of those episodes we mentioned in the recap briefly where, you know, there's a standoff between Leslie and Ron on ideology or something like that. And there's a, there were such great moments for character development. Um, they did that really well, I think, as well. I would agree with that. You, you know, something I realized just because I was I was earlier, I was talking about uh, Hunting Trip. I think Hunting Trip was actually the first episode where they really started to put a little bit of a spotlight on April like Sandy. Mm. So the more we talk about it, the more I like that episode. It's kind of a turning point for season two, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. we, we didn't necessarily cut our, our two our reviews there on purpose, but um <laughs> But, you know, I, for me, that was one of the one of the first times I think I gave a really big score um, as well. I think that was your only other nine other was than these last until two. Until here at the end. Yeah. Um, uh, and again, I, we've said it so many times, I, it bears repeating briefly that I think if this were a different show and the writing weren't so smart, it would be a lot easier to give high scores out Um We've been a little hesitant to do that, I think, just because we know that, you know, there is margin between the best episodes and the good but not great or amazing episodes. Um, we've tried to represent that, I think, in our scoring as, as mathematical as we can be about that. Yeah, we, we've we've definitely been, you know, we talked about this in the Revisited 15 too. We've been a little gun shy because we want to be respectful of the the shows that you and I know because we've watched the series are coming up that are really, really, really freaking funny. And we want to leave like a little bit of room to improve. Yeah. And yet we want to give do do credence, 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 credence. Yeah, it's credence. Yeah, we want to give credence to uh, to the season two episodes that deserve. I mean, these last like the last two uh, Master Plan and Freddy Spaghetti. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You almost can't do better than that. No. Well, I mean, I think obviously season one was so short. 
we've talked about why, you know, um, Amy Poehler was pregnant. They had the late start, all that. So they get a really short season. You know, there, there's a lot of doubt, I think, at the end of that because it hadn't hit its stride, whether or not the show um, would continue. For me, if you had any doubt by the end of season two, you weren't paying attention. Um, and yet... We're going to get an abbreviated season three. And I think when we do our our very first show for season three, we should talk about why that is, because it's not necessarily a vote of non-confidence. And yet there's mm-hmm. still an element of that in the decision to give them a shorter season three, which I find just immensely frustrating. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, you know, they get a full season two. We had 24 episodes. And, you know, I think God, I don't even know what our worst score was here, but it was probably in the eights. I mean, I don't know. We varied much between we might have had a seven point five, like one. I think so. I'll tell you what. I think the very first episode of season two, which I want to say is Pawnee Zoo. It is. It felt a little bit like still season one ish in terms of the funny and the quality. And then I think quickly after that, it started to go uphill. Well, Ellen, what do you think? Is this a is this a good place for us to switch gears a little bit? Yeah, you know, let's do. Um, I, we we just mentioned it very briefly, but let's let's address it a little more specifically. You know, season two cast changes. Mm. Um, we've got the departure of Mark Brandanowitz, and we've got the introduction of Ben and Chris. Um, and you know, one's going to go away forever, and the other two are pretty much going to stay through the end of the series, mostly. Yeah, I I really liked um, Ben and Chris. I mean, e- even from the beginning, I think you know, like. Ben, uh, I thought at was, their mo- at their least likable, we still like them. Absolutely, yeah. ben, ben Wyatt played by the great Adam Scott, um, who Party I down. I, I think I, that's where I first saw him. Yeah. I was just trying to think. I first saw yeah. him from the great uh, sitcom Party Down. Yep. Um, and so you know, Ben Wyatt at first he seems like the obvious bad guy. Like that's that's too easy of a categorization almost because he's the one that's coming in and, and oh he's slashing budgets. And I mean, that it's almost straight black hat, right? That's exactly right. But they did a great job of morphing him into a multifaceted character. You know, he's I think you said this well before. He's obviously not a bad guy. He's been put in the position of doing some bad guy stuff. Mm. But I mean, even in um, even just one episode after he was introduced in Freddy Spaghetti, we we already see him doing things like he he yeah. pays for Freddy Spaghetti to come back into yeah. the concert. And you go, OK, you know what? Yeah. You you do have some depth to this. So. I really like him as a character. I like that he and Leslie, um, we see the initial struggle between them quite a bit of one. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and yet they kind of mend fences. And I'm hesitant to say that because I think they're going to go even farther in that direction towards mending fences and, and of course, and yeah. admiring each other. I mean, because they also, you know, but um, <laughs> I don't know. What, what do you think of Ben? I, I think you're exactly right. I think that. You know, uh, a couple things. The the whole Chekhov's gun thing, right? If you're familiar with that, you know, if you're oh, going to yeah. show them the gun in Act One, you got to deal with the gun by Act Three, right? Yeah. So, so I think a couple things about this. One, they they literally did that in the episode where Ron gave April a gun. Oh yeah. But the Ben character made me think of this this principle. You know, I think early on they in their arcs for people where we kind of start them in one way, but you want them to wind up in a slightly different place. They would let that breathe quite a bit more. And mm-hmm. they would do that over three or four episodes versus, you know, one episode kind of maybe more straight gray, black hat. And then next episode, Oh, look, he's got a heart. Um, 
I think it was smart to do it here, though, because they only had these two episodes to really tell that story uh, and make you like them and want them to come back in season three, which I'm sure was part of their their motivation here was to to start to enamor or to ingrain ingratiate us with those characters a little bit um, before we took the break between season two and season three. And in my mind, I think if that was their intention, they did it well. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and you know, I keep in mind that that Freddy Spaghetti, where we see Ben do this or this really nice thing that Leslie greatly admires, just a few minutes earlier, we had seen him come to the concert preparing just to say oh, no con- down. concert shutting down, yeah. you know. So he's still there's still this bad guy aura around him, whether deserve it or yeah. not. Um What's well, so. the role he's got, right? And he's he has, it's not done yet. Um, you know, we're going to end the season basically with the government shut down. Yep. Uh, evil grin from Ron inserted here. And, <laughs> you know, um, so there's a lot of things that still have to resolve themselves. And we'll see what they do with that when we come back in season three. But you're right. I mean, at least you now have this glimmer that he's not just a, a bad a bad guy. You know, he's right. He's got a bad job. Um, he's going to do it. But, you know, when he can. He's going to try to, you know, still be a human being and do this nice thing for Leslie. So, Alan, I, I, I am I am so flummoxed by Chris Traeger <laughs> because, yeah, the, the, I, I love. First of all, Rob Lowe, that kid's going to make it. I'm so glad they introduced. I think he's going to be good. I was so glad they introduced him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we said this before. Chris Traeger is almost pathologically cheerful and upbeat. I, I like him. I like his character. I love his character's quirks. I feel like he's I feel like he's effective. The 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 big problem I have is I cannot for the life of me reconcile if he is he being sincere mm. when he's being supportive. Is he being purposefully two faced? And and I I can't you know it's easy to be supportive when you know your partner is about to put the kibosh on things right I, I can't wrap my head around that what do you think I, I don't think it's fully one or the other I think it's a, probably a mixture of the two I think he's been in government a long time that's what I think and I think he honestly reacts the way in a genuine way like oh that is terrible I I want to help with that but he already knows usually that the answer is probably going to be no um, I I think we'll see some some moments that are a little more in between on those in season three, where he starts to make that transition a little bit, um, both from a role perspective, but also from just his own behavior as he gets to know these people better. Um, I think he'll have a little bit more time. He'll have a more difficult time playing the most extreme version of that, if that makes sense. Um, I think my take on him is that I felt like this was really epitomized, strangely enough, in Freddy Spaghetti, where he walks in on Tom and Lucy and it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't even phase him like, OK, Tom, I'll, I'll go away. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because I think that he's being very earnest and genuine with almost everything he does and says, like, it, it feels to me like that's naturally who he is. Yeah, I agree. And so the the the. Um, optimist in me wants to believe that when he's being supportive, he he genuinely means that. Um, who knows? Maybe he's just always looking like short term at the present and not looking into the future. And maybe he's maybe there's a little Chris Traeger part of him that's genuinely surprised when Ben shuts it down. And he's like, damn, sorry, everyone. <laughs> I got to go run 10 miles. Um, I want to believe that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I have to believe that. Otherwise, I don't think that the, the character of Chris Traeger works nearly as well. I, I'd agree with that. And I think if you look at other things and the way he interacts with people, uh, there's evidence to support that theory. 
you know what maybe that's the biggest part is that <clears throat> instead you know with the exception of playing good cop bad cop with uh, bad cop ben yeah i don't see him as being smarmy or two-faced or anything in any other aspect of his life so no um he's super positive um he honestly believes everything he says including that you know his plan is to run to the moon and he intends to be that person and that person is the person who's already alive and going to live to 150. <laughs> and, and you gotta love someone who you could put him in in any position like if if, if we had chris traeger here you know in our podcast he sure. would go this is literally the best place this is the place i want to be most in the world right here right now with you two you know i mean he would and he would mean it he would mean the it, crazy yeah. man crazy guy yeah Ugh. i love it yeah i've heard rob Lowe talk about his chris trigger character and its positivity his positivity as a character uh on his podcast a little bit mm -hmm. his podcast is called literally, literally right which is a great and it's a great podcast um i've listened to most of the episodes i've definitely listened to all of the ones he's done with people associated with parks and recreation uh you know his research mark research for this amazing show uh-huh you're welcome and uh but no he I think he he um, Rob Lowe also believes that Chris Traeger is as positive as Chris comes off. So I think, he, mm. you know, Rob Lowe actually struggled with the very same question that we're struggling with. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to defer to Rob because, uh, you know, he's he's a step closer to it than we are. That kid's going to make it. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, that actually makes me happy. I had not heard that. I've actually not listened to his podcast, although I've heard great things about it. Yeah. But that, that makes me feel better, actually, that he's kind of on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. He'd know. He'd know. Yeah. So what's that leaves? I leave Mark Brandano quits. Yeah, sure does. And, yeah. you know, I, I was thinking, Alan, uh, kind of hinted at this great interview we had with uh, Josh Krause. Um, and, and I know that when we talked with him, we actually covered a lot of our thoughts about Mark and him leaving. What do you think? In, maybe instead of talking through our thoughts here, can we uh, give our viewers the interview clip? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think we should do that. Absolutely. Um, we had the the pleasure of talking with Josh recently, and I think the interview uh, addresses a little bit of the Mark Brandanowitz situation for sure, uh, based on, you know, what the, the script that Josh wrote and uh, speaks for itself. Yeah. He, and I mean, very, very good script. You yeah. know, uh, I, I, I get no no kickback for, for mentioning this or anything. But I mean, honestly, well, we, we're, we're expecting the check in the mail. So. <laughs> We don't say that on air. We oh, rehearse this. Um, no, the 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 script is really really good. Uh, I I think what I told Josh is I felt like it was worthy of of rubbing shoulders with some of the scripts that the writers of Parks and Rec have produced, which is a great compliment because I we know how much we we admire them and, yeah. and think that they're uh, talented. And and I think that the other thing that the script did is it kind of filled a gap because um, I mean it's not going to be a big surprise, but I think one of the things he addressed was well where the heck did Mark go? Yeah. We, we have five more seasons of Parks and Rec and there's not even a reference, a nod of the head to quite literally in Perkins. <laughs> he's never mentioned again, which, so. you know, I, why I, I wish they, you know, I, I wish they had actually done that differently. I think it would have been totally realistic to continue to write him out in a respectful way that would have been very natural. 
Well, I'll give you a great example. Uh, when Leslie broke up with Officer Dave. Yeah. Kept his picture on her desk. Picture was there for a bit. And I think there's even a reference later uh, to, you know, Dave. And we knew who our Officer Dave. And, you know, it's at least acknowledged in a very passing way. Yeah. Which is how real life works. Exactly. And the fact that you never mention somebody is a different thing. Yeah. Because there's yeah. usually a specific reason for that, not just that you usually. forgot. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's do that. Hey, Constantine, uh, play that interview for us and uh, we'll come back. We'll recap afterwards and we'll send everybody home. All right. Let's do it. All right. like to welcome our special guest today, Josh Krause. Well, Josh is joining us today to discuss a very interesting project he recently completed. Josh spent, I think, part of your pandemic downtime, I'm going to assume, uh, writing a spec script for Parks and Recreation that imagines the return of Mark Brandanowitz. So, Josh, welcome to Live from Pawnee. Yes, welcome. Yes, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Well, how this whole project come about? Yeah, so... Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I moved back in with my parents for a couple months and I was binging Parks and Rec, I think, for the second time. And I heard about a bunch of people. Everybody started these pandemic creative projects. Um, and I kind of felt like maybe I, as someone who tries to be creative, I should get in on that. And I thought I'm watching Parks and Rec. There's, there's a lot of those like modern, you know, Seinfeld, modern Sex in the City, Twitter uh, accounts. Why don't I try my hand at a Parks and Rec one to practice like joke writing and stuff? And so I did. And uh, I tried, I wanted to do one joke a day for a year. And I did that. And then at the end of the year, I think I'm ready to write a spec script. I don't know. I thought of an idea and I was like, I, I, I should try it. And I did it. And yeah, I'm kind of happy at how it turned out. Well, that's great. So, so the Twitter account came first. And you've got what, about 4,000 followers on there, it looks like? Uh, 4,381, I think, as of this morning. But who's counting? <laughs> who's counting? Who's counting? I don't check it all the time. No, congrats on that, though. Twitter's a yeah, hard uh, environment cool. to break into. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely tough. Um, the best compliments I get are, oh, my God, this doesn't sound like fan fiction at all. Those are, I love those. I save, I great. screenshot those. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those who haven't read it, you know, kind of tell our viewers, and we call them viewers. We know they're not viewers, but we, we like to tease them. We know now. they're not viewers. Yeah. Uh, well, we had to prove they it would scientifically. They, they would if they yeah, could. Exactly. See, I love that. They'd watch. They Come totally on. watch. That's what we think, Josh. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, t tell our viewers what, what your script is about. Yeah. So it's called The Return of Mark Brandanowitz, and it is about the return of Mark Brandanowitz. He's a character who is kind of gained a reputation among the fan base as sort of a lame character who didn't really belong in the show. And, uh, you know, all, it's kind of, it kind of bleeds in with the actor as well. Cause there's, there's no real official story on what happened behind the scenes. There's a yeah. couple of different tales. Paul Schneider, uh, right? They mutually agreed. Paul Schneider, who I think is, can get to this later i actually like his character and that's kind of why i wrote it i think he got a bad rep um but yeah i don't know i i did a a few tweets about mark 
and they were all centered around how he's just gone and nobody talks about it anymore. Yeah. Like, I think one of the first tweets I wrote was at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was talking about how there's a lot less pollution. And uh, that means you can see farther and you can see things that, you know, uh, vistas be, uh, uh, become a little clearer because less pollution. So I did one like with the pollution and Pawnee finally down, you can finally see Mark Grandanowitz again, <laughs> which... <laughs> Yes, you're right to laugh because that's a great joke. Um, and and then I thought, you know, why am I writing these jokes? Like, that's kind of an interesting idea. And the behind the scenes and the fictional thing, I think, kind of are similar. Because in the show, Mark is painted as this sort of aloof guy who isn't doesn't really care about a lot. He finally cares a little at the very end in the Freddy Spaghetti episode when he uh, gives Leslie uh, his plans for a new park. And that's kind of it. And it also speaks to the kind of actor who thought like he wasn't really fitting in the show and other people thought maybe he wasn't fitting in the show. And because he was sort of a sort of a bland character. And I thought, you know, why doesn't that work? And it, and it didn't sort of work. And um, I thought I'd try to pinpoint exactly why it didn't work and then make that the sort of plot of the spec episode. Well, Mark and I have talked about this quite a bit. I mean, I think we have both found ourselves liking the Mark Brandanowitz character a lot more as season two has progressed. And it's kind of like the, okay, now I kind of like him and he's gone. There he went. So um, I think a yeah. lot of people reacted to his departure that way, frankly. And then there was that aftermath, as you mentioned, confusion of, uh, where to go? Is he coming back? And, you know, there was the party line from NBC and Mike Schur, and then there was the reality of what actually happened. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I definitely think that that the Brandanowitz character, in, in our opinion, or at least in my opinion, it, it at, at first he was kind of bland, like in season one, definitely. And then like he started to get a little better, I think. And then he started to get a little bit better, a little bit better. And I feel like he was at his most likable, like the character actually reached the zenith um, right when he left the show. And, yeah. and I'm not saying it wasn't the right decision. It, it probably was, but it's, you know, it's a shame that the character actually, I think, improved that much, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. And he kind of mirrored the show's growth in a way because the show gets so much better in season two. And by the end, it's like, agreed. It's like, you want to keep watching, you know, if anybody subscribes to the multiverse theory, there's I'm sure a universe where he stayed on and, <laughs> you know, the two new characters that yeah, Chris him. and Ben. Yeah. Rob Lowe, yeah, um, didn't, and I'm sure that would have been interesting. But um, Mark worked, I think, at the beginning is and toward and, and towards his end is like a re really great foil for Leslie because he's kind of apathetic mm -hmm. and burnt out on government work, and Leslie's the opposite. You know, she's bubbly and optimistic and super hardworking. And, See, um, now now you're hitting onto my theory, which is that, and I, I shared this with Mark a couple of weeks ago on one of our podcasts. If you look at the best version of Ron that we really like, right, which is a foil to Leslie, a mentor to Leslie, a, a friend to Leslie, you know, all of those things kind of at different mixed into one and shows up differently at different times with Mark there and Ron there both kind of providing that same structural function. Right. They're split in screen time at best. Mm. And then there's the rest of this awesome cast. There's no way that Chris and Ben come in and leave anything on the table for Mark to have at that point. And it's already a problem with Ron. I think personally, they looked at it and they said, we want this 
friend, mentor, you know, mom and dad type role with Ron and Leslie. And that makes sense. Mark doesn't. And let's invite Mark to leave. I think personally, that's what happened. I think they were polite about it. Everyone was polite about it and said the right things behind the scene. But that's my best guess, personally, based on what we see and what I think actually makes sense. I I agree. And I'll, I'll give you my slight slant on it, if you will. There were a few episodes, I think, especially in season two, where the rest of the wacky, zany characters of Parks and Rec kind of turn to uh, Mark Brandanowitz every now and again as the the, the calm uh, voice of reason, you know. And so he's he's kind of the the anchor that they would turn to. And I, I think that that was okay if you're going to have a relatively bland character and i don't say that with you know that's not an insult to paul schneider but just in, in comparison to the other characters he, he came off a little bland um i think if you're going to have a bland character like that you have to have him in a role like that where it's like okay we're so wacky and zany we got to have some anchor of stability we'll use him and i felt like they did that in a few episodes but my opinion not as much as they needed to to make uh, an, an impact and make it interesting my two cents yeah, no, I agree with both of you completely. I mean, and yeah, like he he's very much the straight man, but like his his role is shared by so many other people. Like Anne, you know, is so often the straight man, the straight woman, and and uh um and then the kind of sort of nihilistic snarky side of Mark, April has that in spades. Like there are any of his qualities, other more interesting characters have the same, have parts of those qualities as well. So yeah, you guys are, I think you guys are right. And I think this is kind of what went on in the showrunners heads a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's a great yeah. observation about Mark, you know, his component parts really existing in all the other characters. Um, I hadn't quite thought of it that way before, but you're exactly right. So there's not much left for him. And I think, like you said, Paul Schneider, based on what his career looks like, was probably not as challenged as he would like to have been. Mm-hmm. I think he saw the opportunity and maybe had a desire to do other things. Like I, I, one of my favorite things he's been in was actually an Amazon show called Tales from the Loop. Um, I mentioned it on the podcast. Josh, I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. So are you a sci-fi fan at all? I am. Okay. I recommend it highly because not only is it a great standalone sci-fi, but I think you're going to see Paul Schneider at his best, one of oh. his best for sure. I'm aware of another performance he gave that I really enjoy, but in this I like this show very much. So I'd be curious, uh, you know, for you and all, all of our other uh, you know, viewers to to weigh in on their thoughts about Paul Schneider in that role. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I actually I think I've heard of that show and I've been meaning to check it out. He's also I mean, the dude was in Assassination of Jesse James. Yeah. Uh, played kind of a scuzzy scuzz bag. Uh, he was in Lars and the Real Girl, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I remember that movie, but I never saw it. Yeah. He's he's done some stuff and I haven't seen him recently, but I also haven't seen that show. I'm sure he's in some cool things, you know, and and I, I did read something today about how, yeah, like Mike Schur and, and other showrunner, or if there was one said something about like, yeah, we, we wanted to maybe, you know, include him in a future or future episodes and have him back. And he didn't respond or but then he said that he hadn't been contacted yeah, by them. There's a debate. So, yeah. 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 Well, that you know, it's like, you know, when your buddy leaves and say, hey, let's stay in touch. It's <laughs> one of those things. Nobody really kind of kept up their end of the bargain. I don't think not not in a meaningful way. That's showbiz, but, baby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, hey, Josh, you know, tell me in your script, because I've read it and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I, again, thanks for being on the show today. I think you're our first person, uh, you know, who wasn't directly associated as a cast member that we've had the chance to interview. So it's, it's terrific to talk to you. Thank you. In your script, where does your timeline, where does your story fall on the timeline? I did some math on this and I bet Mark did too. My best guess, it's somewhere around season, I'm going to say six. Yeah. Early in six. Early in six. Cause okay. I, that's when everybody's still together. Ann and Chris haven't left. Yeah, they're together. Right. But uh, a lot yeah. of major events that you refer to in the script have happened. The par- the Harvest Fest and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and some events that maybe actually didn't happen get mentioned in there, which I enjoyed a few of those, <laughs> the boxing match specifically. So I, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. I, um, I hadn't specified. I never thought anybody would read it, so I didn't really <laughs> specify. But yes, early season six is perfect. Well, what kind of, to that point, what what kind of feedback have you gotten on the script? So I am a part of a couple of Parks and Rec Facebook groups and then the Twitter uh, account I have. And so I posted it. Well, first I shared it with some friends. No, I think my sister and another friend read it. My friend, Juliet. Thank you, Juliet. Juliet reads all my scripts. (laughs) So they're amazing. Um, They both really liked it. Um, And then I posted it to the two uh, Parks and Rec Facebook groups and the response was like pretty insane. I'd never, I, I'm somebody who's written a lot of stuff and tried to make stuff and most people never read, read or see it. And so this was definitely the most feedback I'd ever gotten. And it was, and I am going to brag a bit because uh, I don't have a ton to brag about. So I'll brag about this. <laughs> I think every single, and there were hundreds of comments, every single one was positive. And they were all like, so supportive. Like, this is amazing. This is incredible. This is so good. Like I said, the best ones were, this doesn't read like fan fiction at all, which is what I was worried about. Um, It was the best response on anything I've ever gotten, probably ever will, uh, which is fine. And it made me so happy. And I, yeah, it was just so cool to see that. Yeah. And they were Parks and Rec fans. Like, you know, if I didn't nail it, Oh God, that's so, that's so self aggrandizing. If I, I'm not saying I nailed it, but if I didn't do a <laughs> decent job, they would have called out, I think on it. Yeah. I think they would have. So I'm, I'm really proud of it is what I'm saying. I, I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Well, Josh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll confess, you know, um, Alan of the two of us was the first one who was made aware of your, of your script. And then he quickly sent it my way. And I, I didn't know what to expect, you know, cause, cause I, I, I didn't know what it was going to be about. And I thought, oh, gosh, what's this going to be about? And and I got to tell you, you know, Alan and I have said several times in the podcast how much we really respect and adore the, the, the writers of Parks and Rec. I mean, they're just such talented, talented writers. So funny, the timing, the, the, the jokes, the plot, everything. Um, the biggest compliment I think I could give you is that I feel like your script could rub shoulders with theirs. I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was was quality. And, and not only that, uh, and maybe you've heard this before, uh, Josh, by other people who've left comments, I felt like it kind of filled a gap that was there that that really kind of needed filling, you know? So well done. Thank you so much. I That's a huge compliment. And yeah, it's, 
I wish there were spec scripts for situations like this and a lot, cause there's a lot of shows where a character disappears for whatever reason. And you never really find out what happens. And so, yeah, I'm filling a gap is like super good to hear that because he was a pretty big character and kind of just went away. And at the very least, you know, I expected when I watched it for the first time, like someone to reference Mark at least once in later seasons. Like, oh, remember uh, that thing Mark did? Nary, nary a word, nary, not even a name, not even right. first name. Let's let's use Norton Construction to build the park. Oh no, who's why? Who went to work there? Yeah, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, you don't even have to mention his name. Even just that would be something. But yeah, well, or later when Ron had his construction company, would have been a great opportunity, I think, to bring Mark in. You know, hey, my buddy, former city planner. You know, he's he yeah. he knows how to get permits greased or whatever. I mean, they could even had the smallest thing. But I, I suspect by then everybody had moved on. So it's a shame, but. Uh, I agree. I think this this at least imagines a way to fill that void. So it's too bad, you know, we'll never see it on film, so to speak. But uh, it reads, to Mark's point, like a, to me as well, like a real Parks and Rec script. I could feel like you voiced Ron, you voiced April, you, you kind of nailed the characters. And, uh, you know, those things are normally written by teams of people. So nice job. Yeah, it, it definitely <laughs> captured the spirit of the show, for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I had a year of practice writing those tweets every day. Yeah, so good point. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's awesome to hear, guys. Yeah, thank you. Well, we're trying to put together the live from Pawnee players. And if we ever do, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll try to act out a scene for you or something and send you a okay. clip. That'd be great. We've got a guy who does Ron Swanson, but I think maybe a good Tom Haverford. But that's probably about it. Yeah, the Ron Swanson impressions on your show are incredible <laughs> seriously sorry they're i so think good. they're very good too and i think it's a tough impression you know it's it not like a christopher walken or something it's it's, <laughs> it's a little bit more subtle yeah yeah they're great and there was a lot of comparisons to the office right when parks and rec first aired it was kind of like the same <clears throat> format yeah but but it, it definitely distinguished itself uh, yeah. pretty quickly. We, we, we tackled that a little bit in our early reviews of the season one episodes, because, you know, there, if you look at those early reviews, there's a lot of people saying, well, you know, Leslie's no Michael Scott. And well, thank God. Uh, I mean, yeah. and, and to the degree that she actually was a little bit, I actually was glad they softened it because I felt like, you know, the direction they ultimately took her where she's, you know, really smart, really with it, really ambitious but she's Leslie about it versus, you know, just being Michael. Um, that's what started to make the show really work. And that's fully in place by what the fifth episode or sixth episode of season two, I think, um, you know, those first six episodes of season one, all of season one and the first episode or two of two, you're still not really like rooting for Leslie the way you are later. And I, I think the changes they made were the right ones. Yeah. You're almost on Mark's side actually in the beginning because he's like, all right, Leslie, wow, slow down, you know? She, like, she's yeah. she's more zany and wacky than anything else. It's like once yeah. she calms yeah. down a little and you say, oh, well, you know what? She is really smart and she is really sweet and she is really kind. That's what really, I think, kind of endears her to you, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why I love the show. It's just, yeah, it's heartwarming and it's it's got, it's got a great message. And 
And it's, a, it's about people who care about each other. You need, you need that. That's a great summary. You absolutely need that. Well, hey, what, what's next for you? Are you, uh, are you working on anything else as far as uh, other writing efforts? Yeah, um, I'm trying to write some pilots, some, uh, you know, comedy TV pilots. I wrote one. It's done. And I'm writing another one. It's, uh, I guess the one I'm writing is, what's the log line? You gotta have a log line on these things. It's a, it's a workplace comedy about the world, the country's least successful time travel amusement park. That's the, that's I'm the pitch. already. <laughs> Which implies that that's a field with competition. Yeah, he likes to say we're one of the top 10 time travel amusement parks in the country, but they are number 10 because there's only 10. Um, That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to build my portfolio. And then, man, I don't know. I want to be a TV writer and uh, it's probably never going to happen. It's that's totally fine. But um, I'm having fun, you know, just writing and being goofy. And maybe somebody one day will look at it. That's, That's awesome. Great. Well, Josh, if uh, for those uh, of our viewers, and we've done the research, we know they're not viewers. Uh, <laughs> if there's anyone out there who hasn't read, uh, the, you know, this your script, The Return of Mark Brindanowitz, uh, where can they find that? I got it pinned to the top of my Twitter, uh, and the Twitter handle is Parks and Rec Now. And yeah, that's that's the easiest way to find that bad boy. That's great. Awesome. Well, we'll drop a link on that's our great, website great. and link to you as well. So, oh, that'd be see if we'd help push Thank you. All, all three of our listeners over there to you. So, <laughs> I mean, honestly, every single person that reads it is like, I'm, I'm grateful because no, nobody who writes a script of any kind expects anybody to read it. Like, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't happen. It's a, that's, it's, it's a joke. Oh, I wrote, I, I, I wrote a screenplay. No one cares. So anybody that reads it is, is a bonus. And so, yeah, that That's would right. be amazing. Well, Josh, thanks for joining us today. It was great having you on the show. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we wish you all the best and uh, stay in touch. You know, maybe if uh, you get something out there and uh, you want to promote it, uh, let us know and we'll see what we can do to help. Definitely. That's a super generous thing to say, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And it's just so cool that you like, it's awesome I did and wanted to talk to me about it. It's it's every writer's dream. So thank you. All right. Our pleasure. I know our, I know our viewers will enjoy uh, knowing it's out there and hopefully we can get a few more people to read it and let everybody fill that void of, you know, what the heck did happen to Mark Brink? <laughs> Until Mike Scher says otherwise, it's canon. There it is, man. I he like can, it. He, he, can, he can contact me and say it's not, but until he does. That's right. <laughs> yeah, there it is, Mike. Call him up, call up Josh and tell him, no, that's not what happened. Yeah, yeah. don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> do it, apologize later. All right, Josh, all the best. Take care. All right. All right. Take care, buddy. Bye, guys. Bye. Well, that was pretty good. Thank you, Constantine, for playing that, Mark. Uh, that was a great interview. I think I enjoyed doing that. Um, it was nice to meet, meet Josh, uh, another person who's uh, passionate about this show that we both love and that we know our viewers love as well. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that that was really enjoyable. Josh seems like a really nice guy, very he talented. Sure and, uh, you know, he was very gracious to uh, to meet with us and ha- let us interview him. I, I hope he gets an agent. I, I really do. I hope he gets a writing job. I mean, you know, I, that's something I've, I've flirted with myself and, you know, my uh, what, what what am I going to do when I grow up? Uh, you know, discussions <laughs> I have with my therapist. But, um, you know, Josh is really committed to it and uh, he's he's writing a lot and seemingly all the time. So um, I think he's doing this stuff to make it happen. So hopefully it works out for him. Well, and, and as we said, you know, for those of you who haven't read his script, we would be, very much recommend that you do so. It's very Yeah, we'll good. put some links up to it on our website and make it easy to find. Yep. And uh, yeah, so good luck to Josh. You know, Mark, I think also, too, I wanted to mention we're going to come back next week. Our spotlight episode uh, will be on actor Christopher Murray. We're going to take the week off, but we're going to play our full interview with Christopher Murray, who is uh, plays the great Nick Newport Sr. Yeah. And um, really, really really interesting what a interesting guy he's fascinating yeah i mean talk about hollywood legacy and uh just a gentleman and uh humble humble yeah i mean i i was thrilled i got a little sense of that as we were talking to him getting prepared to do the interview but um, he blew me away. So I, I, I encourage everybody to listen to that. Uh, you know, we talk Parks and Rec, of course, but we also talk just about his career and life in Hollywood as an actor, a little bit how the pandemic affected that. And, you know, um, yeah, just really interesting guy. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And then after that, Mark, I we're going to be back with season three. Unbelievable. It's here, man. Or yeah. It's going to be here. Season two is done. Yep. 24 episodes of season two, six episodes of season one. So 30 canon episodes reviewed check d-u-n done done so we'll get into season three it's a slightly shorter season and uh but um i'm really looking forward to it i know that uh, we've hit our stride here at the end of season two and that's going to continue pretty much right away in season three. Oh, completely agree yeah all right everybody thank you for joining us we really appreciate it um Find us out on livefrompawnee.com, out on the socials, on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, We're trying to stay active out there and we look for feedback and uh, like sharing your thoughts when we can. So seek us out and we'll, we'll feature you on the podcast somehow, we promise. Absolutely. And thank to you, all of our viewers. And again, we've done the research. We're pretty sure you're not viewers, but but nonetheless, thank you to all of our viewers for a great season one and especially this season two. It's been a lot of fun, Alan. It has been a lot of fun. You know, Mark, we just got a new study in out of Switzerland, apparently from the CERN. And uh, yeah, they are not so sure they may actually be viewers. Oh, come on. Okay. I know. I know. Just when you think you understand things, somebody goes and gives you a new fact. I think they're going to zig and they zag. I can't take much more of this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.